Today we continue our study in the book of Philippians, finding joy in an unsettled world. And it's this letter that Paul, who's in prison, is writing to this church that he helped plant. So picture, if you can, as we began last week, thinking about a man that's chained to a soldier, writing a letter to a group of people that he has known for 10 years, trying to encourage them. And picture again, if you can, like we said recently, like you're receiving this letter. You just went to your mailbox, you opened it up, and it's a letter from a friend. Maybe you haven't heard from in 10 years, and they're trying to encourage you. It's a letter from a former pastor, someone that's mentored you in your journey, and you're excited about hearing this letter. And today, this letter, Paul reminds us that it's very important that we take our suffering that we're facing, that the situations that we find ourselves in, they're unpleasant, that are hard, adversity, trials and troubles, those things that we try to dismiss and get rid of quickly. He's reminding us today that we need to keep mission for the gospel above the circumstances that we face. Truth be told, though, how many of you, including myself, when something happens to us that's hard, difficult, a relational well thing, something happens to your son or daughter, Some, you get this sickness report, you get a pink slip at work, something happens with your students at school or your teacher at school, something happens to your father or mother, all of a sudden you get this news through a text or a phone call. And it's, it's hard, it's difficult, it's suffering. How many of us, our first response is, we go to God, Lord, take it away, take it away, Lord. Pray for healing, Lord, just take it away, God. Get rid of it. Oh, Lord, p- please remove this trial, this, this suffering from me. How many of you, your first response, your first MO is to say, Lord, take it away. Well, Paul's going to give us a spin on that today. He's going to tell us that these sufferings that you face, that I face, that we will face, if you're not in suffering right now, you're either coming out of it, you're ready to go into it. And so the truth is this, that if somehow we are able to change the way we respond, we can take this suffering that God is giving us to use it for his good. How is it that we're able to press on when suffering, when trial comes, when you get this report from the doctor, when, when the stock market crashes, when you, you have a relational issue with your son or daughter and they're running from God, how can you say, Lord, don't take it away, but Lord, help me to use it to advance the gospel. Most people don't. Most people call, we call Christ followers. First thing we do, you send out this, this mass report to your family, pray that it goes away. Maybe, just maybe, The reason you and I go through these is that somehow we can advance the gospel, that God wants to use this in our lives to lead someone else to Christ. Yet it's difficult when we speak that way. And yet Paul is going to give us a picture of how we can put mission above circumstances. He's going to show us that when you are suffering, when you go through suffering, that you can use it for his good. Grab your Bibles, and you're about to go on a journey that's challenging. And turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will put one in your hand. But turn to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 12 to 26. Pull away again. Remember, this is a letter from Paul to a church that he loves dearly. They know he's in prison, and they know that they're, about, that, that they're going to hear from him, and so they're hearing this for the first time. Stand with me when you find that. We're going to read it out loud together. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. 
Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Read. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my change, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing that is in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to be part and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. You may have a seat. Paul is showing us, and hopefully you're seeing this today too, that no matter what you're going through, every one of us are going to face trial and difficulty. And you know what it is today. Maybe it's a relationship with your father. Maybe it's with your mother. Maybe it's a child that's run from God. Maybe you just got a report from your doctor. Maybe it's a financial, maybe it's a hard thing at work. The message must advance regardless of what comes our way. Paul was saying, mission, the gospel above circumstances. Always keep in mind that the mission, the advancement of the gospel, sharing our faith, living for Jesus, using this situation to point others to Jesus is above the circumstance. We should take our eyes off of what's happening around us, but it's difficult. Because what do we do? We often think that life is about us. It's easy for us to say that I'm here for me. But the reason you and I were created, we must remember this. We get our mission from Jesus. Jesus said when he came, he came, his mission, seek and save lost people. That's why Christ came. Our mission is seek and save lost people. That's the only reason we're here. We're not here. It's not about us. It's about us doing the work of the Lord. So everything that you do, no matter if you're two or 102, everything you do, whether you're working, playing, recreating, building, constructing, designing, whatever you're doing, somehow your mission and my mission must be to seek and to save lost people. Think about it. Suffering should always be used to advance the gospel. How do I know that? Think about it. What if Jesus didn't suffer? Think about this seriously for a second. What if Jesus chose in the midst, when the the Roman soldiers grabbed a hold of him and they began whipping him and flogging him and then he had to carry his cross. What if in the midst of all this, he looked up to God, God, take this pain away. God, take it away, take it away, take it away. 
Isn't it often our response? Lord, fix it, fix it, fix it. Lord, make them better, make them better, make them better, make them better. What if, what if, what if God would have said, as, or Jesus would have said as he looked to his father, Lord, take these away. Lord, I don't want to suffer. Take this suffering away. Take it away, take it away. Listen, every single one of us would be going to hell. Jesus, Jesus, think about it. He used his suffering to the full extent to advance the gospel. So let's make it very practical. How many times have you and I went to God and said, Lord, fix it, God, fix it, fix it, fix it. Take it away, heal, heal, heal. God, do this, do this. And we robbed God of his chance to advance the gospel because we wanted just to be removed from this suffering. Think about it for a second. It's not easy. But Paul is saying, listen, Philippian church, listen, Grace Community, mission should always be above suffering. Mission for that daughter that's run from God and you're thinking, oh Lord, please. God, just fix it, fix it, fix it. Maybe, just maybe God is saying, I'm going to use this hard thing in your life to allow you to advance the gospel in Jesus' name. What's the word advance mean, by the way? Look, look, look again in, in, in verse 12. Look what Paul says. He says, now I want you to know brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, being chained, has actually served to advance the gospel. This word advance, I love this original meaning, by the way. This word advance literally is this. It means to cut the way through the forest. It is a picture of us taking our lives. It's like, it's like putting a machete in your hand, grabbing a chainsaw and saying, Lord, I'm going to use my suffering, my pain, my sickness, my woe, relational woe. I'm going to allow you to put me out in front and I'm going to take my body and I'm going to cut the way so that I can advance the gospel so that people know that Jesus is real. Do you see how that changes perspective? The suffering that you're going through. Think about this now. How many of you are still whining about the same thing for 25 years? How many of you are still, how many of you are still complaining instead of saying, Lord, I don't want you to do anything but advancing the gospel through my suffering. Paul's saying, listen, your suffering is there so that you can advance the gospel. Never once in this letter, you won't find it, and we're going to go through the whole book. Never once in this letter will you hear Paul say, why me, God? Why me, Lord? I've been faithful. I've served you my whole life. I do my devotions six out of seven days. Lord, I memorize verses, and I've been a good father. I've been a good mother. I've been a good son. I've been a good daughter. Lord, look, look, look at me. I, 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 I've joined all the discipleship groups. I'm mentoring people. I'm, I, I, I tithe to Grace Community Church. Lord, why me? Never. Never once, never once does he complain about his lack of sleep. Never once will you see him complain about the mice in the jail cell. Never once do you hear him complain about the cold air and the musty air. You will never hear him say, these chains on my wrist are bothering me. He chooses mission over circumstances. Never once would Paul ever jump on Facebook and say, feeling down, feeling sorry, feeling lonely, feeling overwhelmed. Never once would you see Paul jump on Instagram and show a sad face of him sitting in prison with two soldiers by his side. Never once. Never once is his story on Snapchat anything more than it would be a blue skies taking a picture through the prison cell of the, of the blue sky and sun outside. You see, you know why? 
because he knows what matters most. His suffering produces joy and it gives him a chance to advance the gospel. Please, how often do we do that? The first thing when all hell breaks loose on your doorstep, how many of you are saying, okay, Lord, I want you to use this in me to advance the gospel. I want to become a chainsaw with this suffering. I want to become a machete with this child situation. I want to become a a follower and a leader for Christ. And because of my pain and my suffering, just like it was with Christ, many will be one to Jesus How many of you are still, how many of you are still praying? Take it away, take it away, take it away, take it away, take it away. Fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. Maybe, just maybe God is saying, I want to use this in your life to advance the gospel. And by the way, let me give you some inside information. If you don't learn it the first time, he'll keep coming back. And he'll keep coming back. And he'll keep coming back. And he'll keep coming back because he is a patient God. He says, it's a chance for me to advance the gospel. <laughs> Think about this. He's been chained to, to the, some of the most superior guards in Rome, in Rome. Every day, every four to eight hours, they change shifts. And everywhere he goes, think about Paul, by the way. He was the boldest follower, one of the boldest followers we've seen in the Bible. Can you imagine being chained to Paul for eight hours at a time? Can you imagine like everywhere you go, you love Jesus, you love Jesus, you love Jesus. As he's sitting down to eat breakfast, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Can you imagine his guard? You take time with him. I don't sit with him anymore. He saw it as an opportunity. You talk about a captive audience, play on words. Who really was in prison, huh? So ask yourself this question. When you face suffering in your marriage, in your school, with a friend, in the workplace, when a sickness is falling on your home, on your family, when a financial woe becomes of a, because of a stock market crash, do you want to just ask God for a get out of a jail card? Is that your prayer? God, give me the get out of jail free card. Or do you remain grateful that this could be an opportunity to advance the gospel? You see, what happens when we're in the midst of suffering. Here's what happens. We get pounded. We get hit hard. We get kicked in the butt and we get, we get shoved around. You know what happens? The more pounding we take and the more suffering we take, we're like a nail and it just keeps coming and coming and we keep, we keep be, being driven deeper and deeper and deeper. But you know what happens when we go deeper and deeper and deeper? We become more dependent on God because we know we can't get out unless we turn to Jesus. That's the picture. So we need to shift our perspective and say, God, it's because of this situation that I can be fully dependent on you. Isn't it the truth? When do you lean on God the most of the time the most? It's when you need him the most. You see, you never know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Look at verse 13. Look what he says again in verse 13. He says, as a result of this suffering, it has become clear throughout the whole palace and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. You bet. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He turned his tears into a testimony. I would say it this way. Don't just bear your pain. Use it 
Don't just bear your suffering. Use the suffering to advance the gospel. God has a purpose for our suffering. Listen to me, please. Your first and my first response to the Lord, show me the purpose for this. I don't want to waste my pain. Let me give you a fresh perspective. This week in our staff meeting, one of our staff members reminded us of a story that was shared, and I had the book, I've read it. It's, it's If by Mark Batterson. It's a book on Romans chapter 8. Shared this story of exactly what a man did when suffering came. Look at this perspective and think this through. There's an old African folktale about a king and his friend who grew up together. And they did everything together. The king's friend had a saying. In every circumstance, he would say, this is good. One day, the king and his friend were out hunting. The friend loaded the firearm for the king who fired it. But it exploded, blowing off the king's thumb. As was his habit, the friend said, this is good. To which the king replied, this is not good and had his friend thrown into prison. A year later, the king was out hunting without his friend. When he was captured by cannibals, the king was taken back to their village and tied at the stake. He thought to himself, this is not good. But just before lighting the fire, one of the cannibals noticed that the king's thumb was missing. According to tribal tradition, They would never eat anyone who wasn't whole. So they untied the king and let him go. When the king realized that his missing thumb was what spared his life, he immediately thought of his best friend whom he had sent to prison. He said to his friend, you were right. It is good that my thumb was blown off. I'm sorry for sending you to jail. This is not good. To which his friend said, no, this is good. The king still didn't understand. What do you mean, this is good? I sent my best friend to jail for a year. The friend insisted, this is good. If I hadn't been in jail, I would have been with you. And my thumb is not missing. Batterson goes on to say this. We like to say when things aren't going good, but if it's not true when things aren't going bad, then it's not true at all. It doesn't mean bad things are good. That's sadistic. It does mean that no matter how bad things are, God can use them for good. So Paul is telling us today, and the word of God is telling us today this. Don't waste your suffering. Use it to advance the gospel. Mission, to seek and save lost people, over, over suffering. You see, when we place mission of advancing the the message of Jesus above our circumstances, here's what I found to be true. Three things happen. When you and I place mission above our suffering, three things happen. The first is this. The chains that once bothered and irritate us no longer do. Why? Because we see this as an opportunity to use this to become a machete, to become a chainsaw for Christ. 
God, use my suffering. Use this relationship I have with my dad. Use this wayward son or daughter. Use this sickness that said the doctor said I got six months to live. Use this, this unemployment slip that I just received. Use this relational well to advance the God. Take this suffering and let me point other people to Jesus Christ. Think about it. If Christ would have removed himself from his suffering, by the way, he could have, you and I would all be going to hell because there would have been no one else that could have been the perfect sacrifice for us. So I think about that. Hmm. I wonder out there, because of my suffering, 2 Corinthians 1 says that God comforts us through our suffering. And we, in turn, because we've walked through something difficult, we, in turn, can comfort someone else who's going through what we went through. So who is it out there that because of my suffering that I am willing to walk the full extent, who will be encouraged in their walks or brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus? When suffering comes, and it will we must ask ourselves this question. What good can come from this? You want to know what happens to us when we place our circumstances over mission? Do you want to know what happens when we don't do that? Do you want to know what happens when we choose not to let the suffering? We're saying, Lord, take it away, fix it, get rid of it, I'm out of here. You know what happens to us? Here's what I've observed, observed of people over the years. Here's what I know to be true. When we don't place mission over our suffering, here's what I know what happened. You get angry. You ever see people like that? They're angry. They're mad at God. Lord, why did you do this to me? God, I cannot believe you allowed this. Lord, I've been faithful. They're just angry. Angry at God. Just angry. They wake up, they're angry. They're mad at the world. You know what else I've observed? They're mad at other people and they try to blame you. And they don't like that everything in your life seemingly to them is going well. Like, how come, it, how come you're allowing them? And they can't rejoice with others. And, and they, get, they get happy when things go bad for you. It's about time it happened to them. They're mad at others, blaming everybody, pointing the fingers, my mom, my dad. It's their fault. It's his fault. It's their fault. It's everyone else's fault. They're mad at the world. Why? Because they haven't placed mission over suffering. You know what else happens? Here, 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 here's what happened. Here's the decline that takes place. They begin to stall in their walk with the Lord. You watch it happen. Like, they were once all in. They served and they gave and they had accountability and they were in God's word and all of a sudden they stall. Like, well, if he's a good God, then what, what's, what's this doing for me? Why should I read if I got this sickness? And why should I read if I lost my job? Why should I read if... My child ran away from God. Why should I? And so they stall in their walks. And guess what happens? Guess what happens next? The enemy eats them alive. You know what else happens? This is what I found to be true. They begin to pull away from church and community. They used to be on the front lines. They're leading groups of people, and now they pull away. They, they, they used to go to church, and they were there every week worshiping God. All of a sudden, they pull away, and you ask, wait, where, where's Tim at? And Where's Elizabeth? Haven't seen him in a while. Where'd they go? They pull away. Why, why should I go to church? What good is there to go to church if God gave me this? And you know what ultimately happens? They jump ship altogether. Watch him. You mean, how many times have you seen it happen? 
This person who used to be on fire for God now, they're not Sundays worshiping God. Are you kidding me? They haven't been in church in years and months. They're mad at God. They're mad at the world, blaming God. They haven't been in harmony and fellowship. Why? Why? Because they don't realize when you pull away from community, when you pull away from accountability, when you pull away from someone encouraged, you can't do one another's by yourself. And the enemy will eat you alive. And out there are these Christians who gave their lives to Christ far away from God. Why? Because they can't believe that God allowed that to happen to them. And they're mad at the world. They're mad at you. They're mad at their church. And they want nothing to do with God. So please, Paul is saying, listen, take this suffering, allow this suffering to advance the gospel. That's why you are experiencing it. Paul finds himself also receiving in the midst of this. Now think about this. He's getting criticism from the outside. Look at verse 15. He's in chains. Look what happens next. Verse 15 says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. He's saying this, don't let anyone thwart your forward movement, even if they don't understand. People will always be people. You and I will always be human beings who fail others. One of the many things you have probably found is the word of God reveals over and over again the very same things that happens now people did then too. There's this group of people who are judging Paul and criticizing him and their motives are bad. They saw Paul as a competition and the worse it got for Paul, the more they seemed to enjoy it. You ever know people like that? It's about time it happened to Jim Brown's family too. Let's see how he responds now. They see what happens to the Tinsley family when they hardship comes. They see what happens to the Rauch family when hardship comes. It's about time they face that. You ever know people like that? They can't rejoice. Like when you're rejoicing, the word of God says, weep with those that weep, mourn with those who mourn. Some people can never rejoice with those that rejoice. Here's this group of people that are looking at Paul and secretly are saying, told you so, told you so. I told you. You know why he's in prison? He's in prison because he did that. They try to connect the dots in other ways. Yet Paul says, listen, don't pay attention to it. Hey, if they're still preaching Christ, if people come to Jesus, I don't care if it's for selfishness or selfish ambition. Doesn't matter to me if people come to Christ. Praise the Lord. But his hope is that it's done in goodwill and love. Paul was destructible, but he wasn't destroyed by the word of others. When the heat came, he said, it really doesn't matter what happens or is said about me as long as nothing happened to stop the gospel from being advanced through my suffering. A large part of learning how to choose to live above the voices around you that are against you is having broad shoulders, enough to let things be, to leave room for differences to applaud good results, even if they arrive at them in a different method than you would prefer. I love this paraphrase of this passage, 15 to 18. This person said it this way. So what if some take unfair shots at me? 
Who cares? What really matters is this. Jesus is being proclaimed and all that other stuff, I leave it to God to handle. So what do you do when a clutter comes, when those form judgmental voices against you? And we've all had them. You know, I've heard them too. You, man, you, there, there's been some repeated phrases. I, I've heard them all. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to give them over to the Lord and continue to advance the gospel. By the way, in case you didn't know, when it comes to judgment, anytime you judge someone's motives, you reveal what's in your heart and not theirs. <laughs> Think about that for a second how true that is. Anytime you judge someone's motives, you reveal what's in your heart and not theirs. So Paul moves on. He's reading this letter and he's trying to help his his church through. And then he says this in verse 19 to 20, some of the most familiar passages, passage in scripture. Verse 19, he says, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my what? What's the word? Deliverance. Deliverance. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient what? What's the word? Courage. So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my what? Body. Whether by what? Life or by what? Then he says this. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Very familiar passage. Let me just pull away and and, and shed a little light on this passage right here. I think it's much harder to live for something than it is to die for something. Let Let me explain for a second. It's easy to say I'm going to die for someone. Like, quite frank, as a husband and as husbands, we should be willing to guard the gate of our home. Like, I would be willing to go out in front and if need be to defend my family till my death. I'm going down fighting. But if it takes my life, I will take my life for my wife. Like, and I mean that with all my heart. I, like, if something's coming, I'm going to step in front and I'm going to battle for her. And if I have to die for my wife, I would die for my wife. I would die for my kids. Like, be quite frank, that's easy for me to do. But think about this. It's easier for us to die for something than it is to live for something. Like, do we take that same spirit into the everyday, daily, caring, loving, nurturing, kindness, tenderness, praying, supporting? Do we, are we as willing to live for our wives as we are to die for our wives? Are you as willing to live for Christ as you are to die for Christ? Are you willing to stand? Most of you are. Stand up for the cause of the gospel. Someone came in and says, how many of you? are going to deny Christ. Many of us would say, nope, I will not deny Christ. I will stand for Jesus Christ, even if it's the death of me. But how many of you are willing to live for Christ every day? Well, I go a couple days. Go once a week. and Sometimes I'm hit and miss. You see, it's much easier to die for something than it is to live. So, so Paul's having this conversation. He's thinking, should I stay here? Or, 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 or should I go where, where and spend an eternity? He says, I struggle with this. In other words, he's saying everything that God intended will happen. So don't fret over my, my condition. Think about this for a second. What that really, really, really means. Now, and this week, adversity proves what our ultimate values are. God never uses 
anyone greatly until he tests them deeply. So Paul was saying, you know, I'm looking at this situation. He said, I could go and be with Christ or I can stay here and encourage you. And he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I love his heart here. He refused to be crippled by the words of other people. He refused to be submerged in self-pity. And he refused to take criticism and attacks personally, but he remained strong, positive, and confident that if God was for him, who could ever stand against him? Think about this seriously. Think about this. Where do you need to take that stance right now? What, 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 what are you and your wife facing? What are you and your mom? What, what are you and your brothers facing? What are you facing in the workplace? What has happened to you and your son? What has happened to you and your daughter? What, what are you facing right now that you need to take? God, I'm going to use this. God, I will not waste this pain. God, I choose not to allow anything but the advancement of the gospel to take place in my life. And Lord, I will live a life of purpose and to advance the mission. Some of you are 20 years into this suffering thing that you're still talking about. And you have refused to use it as a chance until you do. Listen to me. It's not going to change. The reason he was able to take this stance to live as Christ and to die as gain is he knew this. To live as Christ... And to die is gain, not to live is money. And to die is to leave it all behind. Not to live is fame, and to die is to be quickly forgotten. Not to live is power and influence, and to die is to lose both. Not to live is possessions, and to die is to depart with nothing in my hands. I'm gonna ask you a real, is there anything in your life on earth that you are placing above seeing Jesus face to face? Ask yourself that question. No, maybe, maybe you're single and say, oh, Lord, let me get married, have sex first, and then take me home. How many of you? Like, I'm just speaking truth. Oh, Lord, let me have a grandbaby. I'm going to hold one grandbaby, then take me home. It's got to be, Lord, it's got to be better. Hold that baby before I see you. How many of you have, are more concerned about earthly stuff than standing before Jesus Christ face to face? The God of the universe who created you. And somehow, what are you placing above standing or kneeling? Is what we're doing. Face down in heaven with Christ above anything on earth. Well, Lord, let, let me retire. Let me and my wife go, go to Israel, Bahamas first, and then take me home. Seriously, what is there that's better than a redeemed body? No sin, no shame, no sickness perfect in every way. Which, do you, do you, by the way, do you think when you, you and I stand before Jesus you're gonna, and, he, and, he, and maybe it's your time to go and your days are numbered and you're going to stand there and you're at the beam of seat and you're going to think, oh Lord, I can't believe you didn't let me go to that family reunion. Seriously. Oh Lord, I, I, want, I wanted to hold that grandbaby before you brought me here. Do you think that any, listen, if that's what you're thinking, then you are way too earthly minded and not enough heavenly minded. Do you? Are, are there things like, Oh, Lord, maybe, maybe, maybe this is your perspective. Lord, you need me here. You need me here to make sure that that daughter does okay, that son does okay. I'm, I need to make sure my, my daughter comes back and my son comes back to cry. Oh, Lord, I need to be sure that, that I can work there. Oh, Lord, you need me here. Listen, if you think that you can't, you can do more than the Messiah can do, then you got a Messiah complex that needs checked. 
There's nothing. Hear me. There's nothing. Paul said, there's nothing. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Yet to die is to gain more of what we had all been longing for our whole lives, Jesus. Here's why I believe there's a crown given in heaven. There's a crown, by the way. There's seven crowns that you and I will be given at the Bema seat, not for our glory. We receive them and we give them back to the Lord. We lay them at his feet. But there's this crown out there that's given to those who long for the appearing of Jesus Christ. Why, why, have you ever wondered, like, why would God give a crown to someone who longs for the appearing of Jesus Christ? Like, that seems like almost kind of selfish, doesn't it? But why? Here's why. Here's why I believe we get a crown for that. It's because you realize that standing in the presence of Jesus far outweighs anything on earth. It's having a heavenly mind instead of an earthly mind. Oh, Lord, let me retire. We've been working on that IRA. We got a good lump sum. Give us two years of using that. Seriously, think about it. Let me tell you, you will not get the crown in heaven longing for his appearing. It's those that say, Lord, I long for you. How many of you wake up and you're like, oh, Lord, come quickly. I just want to see you. Not selfishly, not like, because it gets me out of this misery. It's like, oh, I get to see you face to face. That's why that crown is given. And there's no doubt in my mind that Paul understood this. Here lies the problem for many of us. We are willing to die for Jesus, yet not live for him. We are willing to die for our wives, but don't know how to live for them. And so he wraps up this part of his letter and you're like, whoa, man, it's going like this. And Man, how can he say all that stuff? He's chained up and he's got mice nibbling at his toes. And he's saying, rejoice, I rejoice. Look at verse 22, look what he says next. He says, if I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. It's better by far to be with Christ, which is better. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. His will, he knew. His way, always. He's torn between the two. But listen, you know what happened? He placed the interests of others above himself. Okay, Lord, if you're going to keep me here, this is why I'm here. I want to encourage this church, this fledgling church. It's been around for 10 years. Lord, I want to see them abound in love and grace and joy. So, Lord, as long as I'm here, God, even if I'm in chains, I'm going to continue to write them letters, and I'm going to send them this letter now, and I'm going to send word from other people that, hey, stay at it, continue to press on. Lord, I will do that for the sake and call so that another group flourishes in their walk. You know, if you and I discover within ourselves a desire which we know and experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is an experience in this world. Think about it. If you and I have any desire that nothing in this world, no experience, no thing, no object can completely satisfy, 
Like if you know that nothing is satisfying you, here is why. The most probable explanation is that you and I were made for another world called heaven. That's where we'll be completely satisfied. Paul chose to choose joy and live for Jesus and not waste his pain. He refused to let his suffering become purposeless. It had purpose. Ask yourself this question. Does your suffering have purpose or is it purposeless? Are you that person that says, take it away, take it away, take it away, fix it, fix it, fix it. Oh, come on, Lord, get rid of it quickly, quickly, quickly. Come on, he only had it for six months. Give me like four months of it. What's your purpose? Our purpose for suffering should always be an advancement of the gospel and our lives can become machetes and chainsaws clearing the way so that others find Jesus Christ. Are people finding Christ because of your suffering? You see, too much is at stake, Paul is telling us to live otherwise. We should never coast to our deaths because there are still people to be reached. I came across this quote many years ago, and it's a picture of my longing for me and my family and for Grace Community Church. Some of you are familiar with this quote, but I think of Paul when I hear this quote. Here's the quote. Life is not a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride. That's the picture of our servant here. Ann and I have had a lot of incredible opportunity over the last couple months just to look back over 20 years, and it's been really good. It really has. It's been unusually good. And we've been reflecting on, wow, you remember this in the middle school? You remember this on Clinton Street? You remember, remember this event? You remember when that person came to Christ? You remember, you remember when, when, when we saw them walk the aisle? You remember when they got baptized? You remember when they gave? You remember when they, remember when they didn't know Christ? And, and so we've been telling these stories, and it's been, it's been so good for our hearts. Like, it's encouraged us and revived us. It's added, like, 50 more years to our life. So hold on, man. I'm going to be here until I'm 104. Just that's the way it fell. So it's just this picture of, and so we've been looking back, and, 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 but we, we were reminded ourselves, like, we could look back, and you and I could look back, and you can look back in your life and say, Lord, wow, you did all this. Like, I'm just going to coast into retirement. Isn't that what the world says? Like, I'm going to save for retirement. I can't wait till I get to I'm 55 or 65 or whatever it is, and I got enough so I can just kind of just, just depart from this world, and I can live in this condo on the beach and collect seashells on the seashore until I can die. That's not the picture, and we should finish strong and so in light of that, I've been thinking about what's the future for Grace Community. We're not done. We're not done. Why? Because more people need Jesus Christ.